0: So it was Jesus. Um, it was Jesus on the night that, that he would be betrayed and arrested, and be sentenced. That he would pray for us, and we talked a little bit about this last week. The uh, the prayer of Jesus, uh, where where he said, "Not only do I pray." for these disciples that you've given me. So he was praying for those that was w- were with him at the time, but he said, but I also am praying for any in the future who would believe because of their testimony, which means that Jesus was praying for you and he was praying for me, that we would be one just as he and the Father were one. I mean, it was a beautiful prayer and one that uh, when we think about it, the fact that Jesus was thinking about us on the night that he was betrayed is pretty amazing. Wouldn't you agree? Like Jesus was thinking about you. And being God, he had the capacity to think much larger than any of us can think. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus prayed for us and our unity. And yet, in the church today, there is so much division. And it seems as though we have a tough time being one as Jesus and the Father were one. We have the opportunity as people following Jesus, we have the opportunity to display love and grace and respect for other people so that we might display Christ's love and his grace and his mercy to all people. And that's why unity is so important. To us, to the church at large, so that we might be a display of who God is. The reasons we often break unity in the church, two reasons we talked about last week theology, and that's the way we think about God. It's what we believe, it's our core beliefs, and then also our practice, uh, the way that we do certain things in the church. Now, last week I showed you this huge chart that you couldn't really see. If you were to read the little boxes that showed all the divisions of the church, you would see that many of the divisions happen because of some of the practices. So, some would say, we, we, we believe you should baptize adults and others say, no, we believe you should baptize both adults and children. And so there were these splits over different things within the church. And as a, as, as a church, McDowell, we're part of the larger church, but this local body, we've, we've committed to this statement, this idea that in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty, which means we respect one another. We We trust one another, we nudge one another along the path, and in all things, charity, grace, in all things. Does that make sense? But then the big question becomes, I can go along with that as long as we understand what the essentials are. So what are the essentials? What are the key things that we believe? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because uh, we're going to talk about those things over the next few weeks. What are the essentials? And we're calling this series the Theology Project. And I made some jokes last week about how boring theology is. But the truth is, some of you were like, it is not boring. Like, I love to talk theology and think about theologies. And you're here. So we're going to talk about Jesus today because Jesus is such an important part of theology. In fact, For Christians, I know this is crazy, but for Christians, Jesus is both essential and he's primary. So it's important that we talk about Jesus. Uh, Jesus, for many people, uh, as they look back, they see Jesus as a great teacher, like he communicated some great things. Now, we would all agree that's true, right? Right? That Jesus, what we have historically about Jesus, great teacher and promoted some great things for all people to live by. But Christians believe that Jesus was not only a great teacher, he was a great teacher, but there are some other things that Jesus brings to us that are very important that we begin to understand. Now, Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, you're not going to remember that name, but he's a theologian. Uh, He was a theologian at Yale, really smart guy. Much smarter than me. Last week I said my, my brain, my, my capacity is pretty limited. His is so much larger than mine. He makes this statement as a, as, a, as a historian that regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries, right? That, that Jesus, the person of Jesus, he almost divides history and becomes uh, primary to defining history for all people, especially in the Western culture of our world. Like, Jesus is central. And so we're going to talk about Jesus. Now the, now, the challenge for me today is that books upon books have been written about Jesus. And I ha- only, I've only got, like, 50 minutes to communicate a few things I'm not really going to talk for 15 minutes. Some of you found that funny. Others were like, okay, 15 minutes. Um, I've only got a few minutes to communicate some things that are essential and and core to what we believe. So here we go. You ready? Two pieces I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus' identity, who he was, and I want to talk about his work, what he did. And then I want to kind of bring it home to what that means for us as people. And to do this, I want to begin with a passage of scripture, which is one of the oldest hymns we have about Jesus. It's one of the oldest statements that we have about Jesus. And it was recorded by a man named Paul, who was one of the very first Christians. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he wrote the New Testament as a way to to teach and lead communities, Christian communities like us, to understand what we believe and then how we should act based on our beliefs. Are you with me? Okay, so... Paul wrote one letter to a church in Colossae, Um, Colossians is the name of this letter as it is recorded in our Bible, and a statement that we find there in chapter one uh, is this It's almost like a creed. It's almost in creedal form of what the early church believed. And many uh, scholars and historians would say that this little section, Paul probably borrowed from the early church. Like he probably took it and incorporated it in his letter to help spread the truth about who Jesus was. So here's what he said. Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. Now I could speak today just about that one statement. That Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. There's a picture that we get with Jesus that we can't miss. But he goes on and he says, he existed before anything was created. Like, do you see the theology tucked in there? Like just little pieces tucked into these these thoughts, these, these writings, this ancient what many call a hymn or a creed. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. Now, just so that we don't miss it, like Paul comes back to it and says it again. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. So he's helping us to understand that Jesus is central to everything. He holds all things together. He existed before anything else was created meaning that he was not a created being himself, and he will exist forever. Are we with him so far? Now, our minds are, should already be blown at the magnitude of Jesus, who was human, but also God, which we're going to get to. So he continues, and he says, for God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in him or dwell in him. So in this person, Jesus, all the fullness of God was found there. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled. Now, pause. Help me read this. That next little phrase. God reconciled what? Everything. Other translations say all things, which in the Greek means everything to himself. For God, in all of his fullness, the, the magnitude of God was pleased to dwell in Christ and through Christ, what Christ taught, what he did, uh, his death and his resurrection, through all of this, God reconciled all things, everything to himself. Paul's tucking this deep theology here. And then he says this, he made peace with Here's that Greek word again that's confusing, everything. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. God did this. God accomplished this through Christ. Now, that says a lot. And there's no way we can work through all of that. But I want to spend just a minute on his identity. And many would say that when it comes to the the theology, what we believe about Jesus, most of it can be summed up in his identity. And here's what we would say is core to the Christian faith. And when you believe outside of this, you get outside of the bounds or the stream of Christianity. Do you remember when we said that last week? The idea that that the stream of Christianity is wider than we often think and there's, there's some bounds there. Uh, And when when you get outside of those bounds, then you kind of walk away from Christianity. Well, here's the identity piece of Jesus, fully God and fully human, which is easy for us to understand. (laughs) That, that, That Jesus, this man who was human like we are, somehow was fully God, fully divine, not partially, not like half of Jesus was this and half was that. Fully, God fully dwelled in him. Now, I keep saying this word, fully. That's important. Like, completely divine, Jesus. But also, completely human. Which means God can understand almost, or not almost, everything we experience as humans. Now, how many of you are humans? Most, okay, almost 100% in the room, awesome. What, What this reveals about God, willing to enter into humanity, is that he loves us to the extent that he is willing to experience all the pains and challenges and frustrations and limits of humanity to get to us. Now, that should be something that sparks worship in us. It should be something that says, God, I, I don't understand it all. This idea that you're completely divine and completely human, I, don't, I can't comprehend that. But the idea that you were willing to do whatever it took to come to us is unbelievable. And because of that, I'll sing strange songs. And sometimes I'll lift my hands Maybe one, maybe I'll lift it here because I don't want other people to see me. Sometimes I'll lift two, but people think those are Jesus freaks. But you know, I'll, I'll worship you. I'll give you my attention and my affection because you were willing to take on humanity to enter into our world so that I might know and understand a little bit more about God. Fully human. And also at the same time, fully divine. And... A couple of the ways that we talk about this is that this, the fully divine piece is the incarnation, that God entered into the flesh, incarnation, carnitas. Uh, I'm trying to think of things that like... <laughs> you get the idea though, right? Like he entered into the flesh, the incarnation, divine in the flesh, the incarnation, but also the virgin birth, Extremely important to the Christian faith because he was fully human at the same time. Fully divine, fully human. Now, many scholars and uh, theologian, uh, mind blower kind of people who, who write thick, thick books about all of this, they would say that this is the core of what it means to be Christian is to believe this, to trust this to be true. Fully God and fully human. The identity of Jesus. Now, I'm going to pause just for a second. We're not going to sing a song or anything like that. But I'm just going to pause and and ask you to consider what you believe about Jesus. Do do you believe this to be true about Jesus? You don't have to shake your heads or anything like that. I just want you to, to consider, like, at the core, what do you, who do you believe Jesus was? What do you believe about him? And... In that that primary Christian stream uh, from the church fathers, which were those early, early Christians who began to write out a lot of theology, to the Reformation thinkers like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin and Wesley after him. I mean, through those those days, this is core and essential to, to their belief about Jesus. But it's not just about the identity of Jesus, It's about the work of Jesus. And here, herein lies this this amazing picture of not just the idea that God dwelt, entered into humanity to, to reach us, but there is a reason behind it. Like the work of Jesus was trying to accomplish something on our behalf and with us in mind. So let's talk about the work of Jesus just for a minute. Are you still with me? Okay, good. The work of Jesus. I'm going to talk through these four things, but I thought I'd throw them up here on the screen in case you drift off to sleep or something like that. You'll at least have the idea. The work of Jesus is so much bigger than we could ever understand or comprehend. There is so much more to it than we've ever thought possible. And um, what's interesting is from time to time throughout history, the church has focused on an aspect of the work of Jesus and at times missed the the completeness of the work of Jesus. And as humans who are limited in our capacity, we'll talk a little bit about this, what we feel like is a fuller picture, but we'll miss something because we're humans. But core to what it means to be Christian, to our theology, is this idea that, that God through Christ, shows us his love. That that in the person of Jesus, we get this unbelievable picture of God's love and grace for us. Like that that God is willing to to enter into humanity, but not just enter in, but to suffer and die. This is a picture of God's love. Are you with me? Like somebody should say, like that's a good thing, hallelujah, amen. Something like to, to express Amazing that God would give us such a picture of his love, his grace, his mercy. Jesus is that picture. It's why um, in Colossians, that verse that we just read, um, Paul begins with, he is the image, he is the image, the picture of the invisible God. It's a picture of God's love. The second piece. Save us from sin. Now, um, I, I don't know how many would admit this, but most who, if you sat down and had a, have, a, have a conversation with uh, theologians and uh, scholars, many would say, in the last 150 years of church history, this has been our focus: save us from sin. Like this one little piece of Jesus has been the thing that, that has captured our imagination, our attention, and our focus. Now, not a bad thing, right? Being saved is a good thing, but it's not the complete picture of God. That in, in what Christ accomplished, his, his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection, there was something that took place there that, that gave us new life to save us from sin, Um, I'm going to mention this real quick for those who like to geek out on this kind of stuff, like me. For this piece, um, there are many different, I'm going to use this interesting word, theories as to what took place on the cross. There's many different theories. I'm going to mention just a couple of them real quick. There is the ransom theory. The ransom theory suggests that we are all held captive to something And that Jesus pays a ransom for us to set us free. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So that on the cross, something took place in which Jesus paid so that we might become free. You've probably heard something like that in the past, right? There's another theory to try to explain this. It's called the the Christus Victor theory. That that Jesus, uh, he was victorious over sin and death in a way that we can't alone be victorious over sin and death. Now, I already asked you, how many humans do we have in the room? And most of you agreed that you were human. Um, how many of you uh, struggle from time to time? And how many of you have this little thing in your life that, that probably could be described as sin? Is there anybody in the room that maybe has a little bit of that? Yes. So 50% of us. Awesome. Awesome. of us get each other in this little piece. But the idea is, well, let me ask you this way. Does anybody in the room have something that you struggle with on a fairly regular basis that you think that you can overcome, and from time to time you overcome it, but then you find yourself going back and slipping into it again? Is there anybody who gets that? Yes. (laughs) Everybody's like, yes. My spouse does. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) My kids, they get it. Um, That Jesus became victorious over those sorts of things, our sin, our, the, the death that we will face, that Jesus was victorious over that. That's a theory of what took place on the cross, this idea of saving us from sin. Another one is the satisfaction theory, that Jesus had to satisfy something on our behalf. This is a, a difficult one for many scholars because the idea here from time to time is that that God has um, some sort of, of retribution that he wants to, to give to us because of our sin and that Jesus satisfies that. Just another theory as to what this means. And then there is a scapegoat theory, which is a little bit newer in theology, but the idea that we all have sin and that Jesus was willing to die as a human to take on the things that we could not satisfy. He was the scapegoat. Now, some of you are like, I have no idea what you were just talking about. Something took place on the cross. And for hundreds of years, scholars have been putting together theories to help us get a clear picture. But let me, let me make clear that none of us will fully be able to understand exactly what took place on that cross and in his resurrection. However, what we can understand is that it was done for us. And on our behalf. And there is salvation. There's something good in that for us. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Okay. He came to shut down religion. Okay, amen. I got a huh and an amen. So a couple different things. What that means is that um, that Jesus, in his work and his life and his teaching wanted us to realize that we cannot get to God on our own. And that is religion. Religion is our attempt to get to God. Jesus is God's way of getting to us. So Jesus came to shut it down and to say, look, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot make it up the ladder. Like it is too wide a gap. But there's good news. I'll do it for you. Well, that's good, right? Shut down religion, our attempt to get to God. Have, have you ever seen, um, I grew up in the church, some of you grew up in the church, there's this picture that gets around every now and then, and one of my favorite preachers was talking about it recently. There's like this, this gap in between like two hillsides, and it's like this gap is sin, kind of when you fall into it, it's sin and there's no way to get across the gap and this is you and this is God. Has anybody ever seen this before? And what drops into the middle? The cross. Yes, you've seen it before. So the cross drops into the middle and the the beam across the middle like covers the gap between us and God so we can make it over. You've seen this before? It's helpful in some ways. Uh, My pastor friend, who likes to joke sometimes about his weight, he said, the problem I had with this drawing is that the middle part of the cross, like as an overweight kid, I don't know that I can still get over that to get to God. So I want to cut that top part off. I get the picture, but still some struggles with it, um, which I found quite funny. And, And then he said, he said, my problem with this drawing is that it's still an arrow from us to God. And the point was an arrow from God to us. God enters into humanity through Jesus to get to us. And that is good news. So shut down religion. And then the last thing to set up God's kingdom. He wanted to give us a new way to live. He wanted to give us a picture of what it means to really be human. Now what we call all of this together is salvation. Jesus equals what we call salvation. And this is a free gift from God. We can't earn it. Paul even said, you know, it is is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own so that no one can boast. Like, you haven't done this. This is all God's free gift to you. It's offered to humanity, and it leads us to this new and abundant life. So, the identity, the work of Jesus. So, some of you might ask the question, if this is at the center, it's the essentials of what we believe, then what is outside the bounds? Have any of you thought that? Like, what's outside? Like, what gets us away? Here's just a couple of things that are outside the stream of Christianity. That Jesus was adopted by God. There are those who would say that, that Jesus, uh, as fully human, was born into this world and that God somehow chose him and adopted him To become the son. And what Paul would say and what he wrote in Colossians is no, 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 Jesus has always existed. He's always been there. So he wasn't adopted in. Does that, are you with me? Does that make sense? Um, Jesus is, is not fully human is what others say. And we would say this is outside the bounds of Christianity. Like Jesus was fully human. He understands every, if he wasn't fully human, then he doesn't fully relate to us. He was fully human. And from the, the early church fathers to today, this has been key to humanity. And then there are those who would say salvation is not needed by all. Like the work of Jesus is not needed by everyone. It's not, it's not needed by everyone who lives. But some, there are some who are, are able to find their way to God outside of salvation. And we would say, well, this is outside the stream of Christianity. Like Jesus is central and primary to the stream. Are you still with me? Okay, a couple of you are here. Everybody else, come on back for a couple minutes. I'm going to land the plane. So what does it all mean for us, like practically? What does this mean? There are so many other pieces to it and ideas and theories, but, but key and central when we're in the Christian stream is this that God, the Father, entered into humanity through Jesus Christ, the Son. And he did this out of love, that Jesus was fully human and at the same time fully divine, that this nature was held together in the person that we know as Jesus. And his work, what he lived for, was to set us free from ourselves to give us a picture a beautiful picture of who God is his love and his grace and his mercy and to lead us to live life in a new way and this is the reason when we lean into Jesus like life changes when we opt into the life of Christ when we when we step into that stream It changes everything. We have a new joy. We have a new peace. We don't have to work our way to God. Like anything that we've carried in the past, we can let go of because God gives us forgiveness in that. Not out of our work, but because of his work. Now, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Every, almost every religion that you you could study has this element of, of trying to get to God. And the beauty of Christianity is that God got to us through Jesus Christ. So for you and for me today, if we miss Jesus, we miss, we miss everything. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. The beauty, the grace, the love, the peace, the hope of God the Father. We miss it if we miss Jesus. Now um, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't invite you into that life this morning. All of us, once again. I, I, I believe this in many ways to be a daily choice to opt into the life of Christ. Many of us from time to time um, in, in churches have come to some sort of an altar and knelt and prayed. Anybody ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like this idea that I want to invite Jesus into my heart, which is not a bad thing. But what I want to ask us and invite us to do is not to just invite Jesus into our heart but to step into the love and the grace that God has given to all humanity in the person of Jesus to opt into that kind of life. And maybe you don't know what that means. Like fully, you can't fully comprehend that. Good news, none of us can fully comprehend that. What we know is that this God that we can't get to on our own has done it for us, and so we step into that stream. We trust, which is this idea of faith. We we place our faith in him. For all who would believe, he gave the right to be sons and daughters of the most high God, and that is good news. Would you agree with me that that's good news? For anyone who would just believe, like, to step in, to opt into the stream, like he gives us the right to be his sons and his daughters. So I invite you to consider that this week. Now, if you fell asleep and you were wondering if there was going to be a two-minute video at the end to help sum up the sermon, (laughs) you're going to be disappointed (laughs) because I couldn't do it in two minutes. It's like (laughs) 2.54. So here's the summary of what is central and essential to Christianity. So at the center of the Christian faith is the person we know as Jesus. Uh, Jesus changes everything. Now it's interesting there's not much debate uh, over the historic person named Jesus. What is debated is what Jesus did and at the core who Jesus was. Uh, John in the beginning of his gospel his stories about Jesus uh, started like this he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god now when we see that word the word he's talking about Jesus the logos he's he's talking about Jesus being eternal he was at the beginning he entered into the world in human form and he will be forever Jesus was is and forever will be. Jesus is at the center of our faith. Uh, He is both fully divine and fully human. Uh, In theology, we say there's this hypostatic union, both the divine and the human natures held in one. A hundred percent divine and a hundred percent human at the same time. Jesus was God entering into humanity to give us a picture give humans a picture of who he is in a form that we could easily understand. We had heard a lot about God, but we had never seen God. Jesus is the visible image of that invisible God that we had never seen before. Now there are really four things that we like to talk about Jesus having accomplished. Number one, uh, Jesus was a visible picture of love in a form that we can understand. Jesus gave his life for us. A, a picture of God's love for all of humanity. Uh, number two, he came to save us from sin. There is something that happened when Jesus was crucified in resurrection. He was crucified for, for crimes he didn't commit. He was crucified really by humans even though he had done nothing. He came to save us from sin. He came to free us from our tendency to set up religious systems. And those religious systems are our attempt, human attempts, to get to God. Jesus broke down all those barriers and gave us access to God through what he accomplished. And then finally, Jesus came to set up God's kingdom. In the ways that he lived, he gave us a new way to be human. Jesus, fully human, fully God, sinless, born of the Virgin Mary, laid down his life willingly and this salvation, what Jesus accomplished, is offered to everyone, no one excluded. Now the question is, if Jesus was God, and yet Jesus prayed to God the Father, who is the Father? Is Jesus the Father, or was he praying to someone else? And that's a great question for next week. Just all right, hey, hey, hey. All right. so just would you all stand with right, me, right. and uh, I'm gonna say a prayer. Jesus and, uh, and then uh, send you out. But what I would love, love, love for you to do this week is consider Jesus. And if you just want to read a little bit about Jesus, Colossians chapter 1 is an amazing picture of who Jesus was. So, Father God, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is central to our faith, what he accomplished, giving us a picture of you, that he set us free from, from sin and he saved us from that. I thank you that he ushered in this new kingdom, this new way to be human. And I thank you that he broke down every barrier so there's nothing that holds us back any longer. God, thank you for his love and his grace and his mercy. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. 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 Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday for the Theology Project 3.